So we're in a series right now on hope, and normally you'll see once we get back to, uh, to January that we normally go straight through books of the Bible, but we're in a series of Advent where we're kind of looking at various passages pertaining to hope. So question to consider, and, and we're going to call the one this morning, the unlikely or unliked path to hope, and you'll see why in just a minute. But if you think about the future, what word or words come to mind for you? Is it, is it excitement? Is it joy? Is it dread? Is it, is it a list of things that I'm going to have to do? Is it, is it hopeful in some way, hopefully, as you look to the future? That's part of what we hopefully will gather this morning. But with respect to that hope, it's been said that somebody can live 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, but could only live about four seconds without hope. It sounds a little overdone, but the point being, if we don't have some sort of hope that keeps us going in life, we've got no point, we've got no reason for living. So hope is extremely important, extremely important. And the passage that we're going to look at this morning, you're going to see when Yvette reads this in a minute, admittedly, it's, it's dense, okay? The word dense. When I think of dense, what, what comes to mind is actually not something so good, but this passage is going to be good. I think of this little jar of bullion. So what, what happened a couple weeks ago was Donna said, hey, there's, there's soup in the crock pot. I want you to go put a little bit of this stuff that's on the counter in the, uh, in the crock pot. And I thought, well, that's a little jar. I put the little jar in. Oh, my, Joyce gets it. Oh, yep. So I put the little jar in there. I added some water, and then we're having the soup. And, man, this is salty. Everybody's saying, salty. Don said, what'd you do? I said, I put the little jar in. She said, you put a little teaspoon in there. I said, whoa. I looked at the label. I said, I just gave my family 1,080% of the daily recommended sodium in one meal. So, you know, our family's still just continually taking in water to adjust for that. But that's dense. That's dense. So this passage is dense, but in a much better, a good way, a good way. And so when we consider this passage in Romans 5 that we're going to look at, have in mind that Paul, as a pastor, he is first and foremost a, a missionary pastor who has a heart for the gospel and for seeing people get that. And as he went out, as Paul was traveling around taking out the gospel, this cool quote, it said, Michael Goheen said, Newborn churches are established wherever Paul travels through the Roman Empire. So as, his, he, as he's going, he's establishing churches, which is something for sure for Aspen Grove we've embraced. As the gospel goes out, we're part of establishing churches. So Paul is first and foremost a missionary pastor extending out the, gas, the gospel. He cares about people. So yes, the passage is going to be dense, but it's coming from a pastor's heart who is hopeful, hopeful that we get the message of the gospel. So as Yvette comes up, remember this, that the indicative precedes the imperative, meaning 
who we are, our being, comes before our doing. And Paul is going to be speaking to this, in this, to who we are, to who our identity is in Christ. So if you would stand for the reading of God's word. This is Romans chapter 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Thank you, Yvette, for that wonderful reading. If you would pray with me. Our Father and our God, your word, it's been said that it is one that man would not write if he could write and could not write if he would write. This wonderful word is your word for us this morning. May we receive it well. In your son's name, amen. You may be seated. So our big idea this morning, as we consider this passage, is you heard the first words that he read there. Since God justified you, he is for you. Since God justified you, Christian, he is for you. Amidst whatever happens in your life, he is for you. And that is critical to how we receive whatever life throws at us. Another thing to keep in mind, and just for the, the core group has been with us for a while, one thing we want to distinguish with what Romans is going to say about justification, one of those big, dense words we're going to look at, versus what James said. We've been through a series of, uh, in the book of James. Simply put, we could say that Paul in Romans focuses on the declaration, the statement Believer, you are justified. You are credited as righteous, not because of anything that you did, but because of what God has done in Christ. James was saying, okay, if that's the case, then you should demonstrate that. Your life should show that you're justified and you're living that out. Not that you earn it by any means, but that your life demonstrates it. But Paul this morning is speaking to the believer. All right, so we want to work through that. So first word, Paul says, therefore. And if you have a Bible, I encourage you, please follow along, whether it's on your phone, a paper Bible, whatever. We're going we're gonna to walk through the passage. So therefore, for the believer, what he's saying is, since we have been justified through faith, he's saying, Chapters 1 through 4 of Romans, which we're not going to go through and, and cover this morning, but he's saying those were saying, you need Christ. You need Christ. You need Christ. You need Everybody needs Christ. If there was anybody ever who tried to live their way by, look at me, look how I live, earn salvation, it would have happened by now, but he's saying nobody's ever been able to do it. You need Christ. He is the only way you can be justified. That's what he pointed out in chapters 1 through 4. Now he's saying, for the one who has received that and has said, yes, I need Christ and I receive that justification, 
He's saying, here are some benefits for you. Paul is practically singing this passage. I mean, he is, he is joyful in presenting this, uh, the good news, the benefits that we have in Christ. So Paul assumes, as he gives this family talk, that he's speaking to Christians. Is that the case this morning? Is that the case? That this is all of us Christians? Maybe, maybe not. But if you are a Christian, you have been justified by, th- by faith through Jesus. Only way, only possible way, hopefully that's the case. But if not, if not, this passage is not about you yet, but it is for you today. If you are not one who has been justified, this passage is for you today. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says repeatedly. So as we progress through the passage, we're going to consider four parts of the outline. We're going to say there are four S's. The first S, the first S that we see in the passage is peace with God. Yeah, whoops. S, uh, peace with God. All right, some folks are going to know. I know where you're going. Okay, shalom, right? Okay, shalom is the Old Testament word for peace. And peace is something that in reality we have longed for since the beginning of time. Adam and Eve started off, they're at peace with God, all is good. Sin breaks peace. And it's something that they're longing for thereafter. The Israelites, they're walking with God sometimes, but then they sin and grumble, complain, do all kinds of stuff. They're lacking peace with God. Fast forward to today, is that not something in our culture, in our time, Americans, do we want peace? Yes, globally. Folks in Ukraine, do they want peace? Absolutely. On a global scale, we're longing for peace. But then you could also zoom that back into just your everyday lives, your relationships. Do you want peace in your relationships? Sure. I confess just a week or two in our home, Donna and I with with one of our children There was something going on. There was not peace. And so we went to that child. It wasn't a, whose fault is this? Who gets the blame? In essence, it was, who cares? There is a break in peace. What can we do to restore the peace? And that's what shalom is. Shalom means whole, uninjured, undivided. Whole, uninjured, undivided. That's shalom. Now, what I've been talking about is a feeling of peace. And a lot of you know, well, I, I have a peace about this decision. And, that, and that, that's a wonderful thing when we, when we have that kind of peace. But Paul is talking about something bigger and even more important than that. Those are subjective feelings. He is saying this is objective. You, I, all need peace with God, period objectively. He is the Lord. Whether or not we feel peace is not the big deal. In other words, for the Christian, you can be at peace without feeling peace. You can be at peace without feeling peace 
because of what he says right after that. How does the peace come about? Is it just because I say I feel peaceful, therefore I am? No. He says in this, it comes because of, look at the end of that, our Lord, Lord, Master, Owner, the one who calls the shots, Jesus, the Savior, the one who purchased it, Christ, the Anointed One. Because our Lord Jesus Christ says you have peace because you've been justified, you have peace whether or not you feel that or not. And that leads to the second S. The second S is that we have what Paul describes there in verse 2. We have a standing. We have a standing in grace. A standing in grace. In other words, it's not the graciousness that just kind of a kindness, a loose kind of graciousness. This is more significant. It's in effect, he's saying you're, you're standing in a circle, a sphere, circle of grace. The circle of life, la, 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 much more important than the circle of life. This circle of grace is what we are in. In the word there, where you see that word in verse 2 where it says access. Through him we have obtained access. That that word in the Greek is, is powerful because it has two word pictures for it. It's saying, one, you have access in the sense that God has called you, ushered you, given you access into the throne room of the King of Kings. He has called you into that. You have that access. So there's that word, that, that word picture of the king. You're in with the king. And then the second word is there's a safety. It was a, the picture of ships going into a harbor where they would have a, a a safe harbor or haven. So you are safe. The ship is safe. You have landed. You are safe in this throne room with the King of Kings. And the other beautiful thing is, though our lives are tossed about and all these things, we're safe there. And it's not, today I'm in, tomorrow I'm out. I feel good, I don't, I'm in and out. He's saying this is permanent. The tense of that verb is saying, there's something that happened in the past, but it's true in the, in the present. You have access permanently, standing in grace. So this beautiful picture there, those second S, this blessing of being justified by faith. And then Paul is moving into, in, in a lot of ways, the climax of the passage. And he says, here's, here's the third S for you. Oh, and he just mentioned hope. Don't worry, we're going to get, we're going to get back to hope. But Paul says, here's, here's the third S for you. And as you're thinking about this, you think, all right, I get that. I like peace, and I like this standing in grace, and at the end he's going to talk about love. But this fourth one, hmm. Some of you might remember the show Sesame Street. You remember this part in Sesame Street where there would be this little grid here and there'd be a little song and it'd say three of these kids are doing the same thing. The young folks don't get this. They're not tracking with me. I'm not going to sing it, but the deal was there's three kids doing the same thing. There's one who's doing his own thing. Okay? And it's usually quite obvious. It's blurry. This is old. This is like, you know, back time of Adam and Eve. So this is really old, but three of those guys are playing baseball and then... My football, I don't fit. Okay? So you figure that out and you go on. But that's kind of the picture of what's going on with, with Paul here. It's like peace, 
love of God and standing in grace. Merry Christmas, let's go home, right? And he says, but here's the best one, suffering. Suffering? Paul, that doesn't fit. I don't, I'll pass on that one, right? Because that's, and that's why we're calling this the unlikely or unliked path to hope. Because Paul says the third S here is suffering. And what Paul is talking about with suffering, admittedly, the Bible talks about suffering throughout our lives where there's trials and tribulations, and it could be uh, sicknesses and illnesses and hard times and the worldly disasters. The Bible speaks to that. But right now, Paul is not talking about that type of suffering. The word he uses there is one for pressures, pressures that come from persecution. So in other words, the the suffering that Paul is talking about here is suffering because you're a Christian, because you've been justified by faith. Now you get suffering. You get persecution from the world. And if you think about that, okay, those have, uh, uh, somebody wrote recently, they said, if you go back, say, 30 years or so, uh, so ago, if you said you were a Christian, yay, fist bump, high five, me too, aren't we all happy, happy? We love Christians. You guys are good folks. Go about 10 or 15 years ago, moving forward, things got a little more neutral. Howard, you're a Christian. Okay, keep, keep that to yourself. You want to plant this church? Okay, but I'm not going to do that. That's okay, maybe for you, not for me. So it went to neutral. I think we all know if you look what's happening and has happened in the last couple years, you call yourself a Christian, that's a mark against you. Our culture, our society is not for the Christian. Persecution is coming more and more, circling back in a lot of ways to what Paul and many of the Christians were experiencing then. We are more and more experiencing that. And I was thinking about this just this, this week and was just thinking, okay, so, so my children need to get that. Shame on me if I don't in some sense, raise them with an awareness, not to hate the world and to withdraw from the world, but to have a realistic view of what the world is going to think of them and how they are to respond and witness and share the God. So anyway, I asked Chloe, our youngest, I said, Chloe, what do you think about you know, persecution as far as for the gospel and that kind of thing? You know, this is more than just you got disciplined and you didn't get your snack or you didn't get to play with your friends. Well, this is this is more significant persecution here. And Chloe goes, oh yeah, I know about that. It talks about in Habakkuk that such and such. I said, what? <clears throat> Habakkuk? I didn't teach you about Habakkuk. And she said, oh yeah, I listened to it on my <clears throat> Jonathan Park CDs or something like that. So I don't bring this out as any kind of bragging. I say, hey, I wasn't really even doing my part, but she got it, and she could, in some sense, grasp that in her little mind, okay? So the point being, our children, from a young age, we need to be raising them up with a biblical view, even of what suffering is about. They will be able to handle it. The Lord is for them. 
So Paul says, though, he starts this little train, chain. He says, okay, we're going to start with suffering, and then there comes endurance. Suffering will lead to endurance. So simple point being, think of endurance. Without suffering, there's nothing to endure. You're going to run a race, and you want to run faster and faster. You've got to suffer a little bit to get there. So suffering in and of itself is going to bring about a call for endurance. And the endurance that Paul is talking about is not one that just kind of actively just says stoic, you know, ah, there's nothing I can do. This is just fate. It actually steps into it, not just passively, but, but steps into it and says, Lord, you've called me into this. You've called me into this. So the Christian suffering is a source of joy because it leads to endurance. Then thirdly, you see in the passages, it says it leads to character, character. And the word there for character is one that says, uh, kind of like a metal that's been, uh, goes through the fire, comes out refined, purged, the dross, the, the, the bad stuff is off, all that. It emerges stronger, purer, better, and nearer to God. That, ah, that's what the Lord is bringing about, a maturing on the part of the Christian. And that maturing is not just where you become independent. You know, okay, I've progressed to this level. Now I don't need God anymore. I've got this. I'm independent. I'm mature. The Christian maturity becomes more and more dependent on God. There's more and more the realization that as the trials come, as I endure, as I build character, I need God more. I need God more. In a humorous way, I... I, I learned that back my my senior year in high school, I can remember. So I'm out there for cross-country practice, and we have a new coach, Coach Huggins, good old boy from Alabama. And I'm thinking, hey, my junior year, I came in second in the state. I'm a senior now. I don't need this guy. I got this. I'm just going to do what I want to do. So Coach Huggins, his little line was, on the line, ready, go. On the line, ready, go. That's how the intervals went. And he said, guys, today we got a few 800s. All right, so one, two, three. We did three. A couple is two. few is three. Several is four. We did three. I go over to the side. I run the show here, and I start changing my shoes. Coach Huggins says, on the line. Say, coach, a couple is two. A few is three. You didn't say several. He said, on the line, boy. (laughs) All right. I needed to know that I still had plenty of learning to do from the master, from the coach. And just the same, we as Christians, there's times where we say, I've had enough of this suffering. I've endured enough. And the Lord says, stay in it. I'm for you. Stay in it. I'm for you, and this is good for you. And what does it lead to? The chain is there's suffering, there's endurance, there's character, and there's hope. There's hope. Paul is saying this is taking you to where your hope is firm. It has an anchor. It's fixed. And as we've been talking about that, we realize there's different types of hope, right? You could have have a, a false hope. A hope that is built on, you know, it's just, it's false. It's useless. All right. Years back, 
Benjamin was like nine or ten. And Benjamin was playing basketball and he said, My, I, I want these shoes, these D-Rose high tops. They are going to make me the best. Got my D-Roses. He's out there playing. Don and I were sitting there. We were watching that game. He said, that boy looks like he's in quicksand. He is the slowest kid out there. So after the game, we were, Benjamin, what, what's going on? We look at the shoes. They look like the Ronald McDonald shoes that are floppy like this. I'm not kidding. They're like three sizes too big. Two years later, Benjamin said, my D-Roses are still too big. He just figured if I wear these shoes, I'm going to be like him. I'm going to be the best out there. That was a false hope. So sometimes our hopes can be false hopes where it's just there's no basis for them. Sometimes that hope can be one where it's in a, in a sense kind of rolling the dice. You know, I hope, it, hope we win. No proof for it. Just I hope it happens. There's this, there's this game called um, Cow Pie Bingo. I picture what that is. Okay, you just go out to a field. There's grids there. There's squares there. And, and you pick that one or you're assigned that one. And if old Bessie out there goes cow pie on your square, you win. Okay, so it's just a random chance. Okay. Sometimes we view hope that way. It's just a roll of the dice. I hope I win. I don't know. Not what Paul is talking about at all. The hope he's talking about is those who have been justified by faith have a firm foundation, have a firm anchor. The the Christian hope never proves to be an illusion because it's founded, founded, rooted on the love of God. So we could say this, if God is producing these sufferings in the, in the present, then we have a sure hope for the future. We have a sure hope for the future. But what is, what is our ultimate hope? What's the fourth S here? The ultimate hope. It's the love of God. It's that God's love is for us. Okay, so we're missing an S in that again, right? What's God's love? What's the fourth S? So if you look at four, the verse 5, what does he say there? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The S, the fourth S, the Holy Spirit given to the believer. And what we want to realize is the, the, the blessing, the goodness of the Holy Spirit is, is for every Christian, for Everyone who has been justified by faith. It's not like a JV and varsity thing where, okay, you're JV, you're kind of okay, but if you really get the baptism of the Spirit, then, then you're really in, in, your, in, in your varsity. He's saying, you, Christian, have the Holy Spirit and God's love is poured out on you. Poured out on you. It's been said that the essence of loving is giving. The essence of loving from the Father to His children is giving. The Father gives us the Holy Spirit. The Father gives us the Holy Spirit. And as we think about that, often amidst the trials and the, the suffering, sometimes doesn't it feel like you want to say, I need a judge. This isn't fair. You know, I have more suffering than so-and-so. This isn't fair. I want a ju- judge. Help me out here. Long ago, there was a, a Western, um, was it True Grit? This guy in that Ned Pepper says, I need a judge. 
I need a judge. I think, no, you don't, you don't need a judge. You and I need a Savior. We don't need a judge, we need a Savior. And many of you have heard this illustration of a courtroom. But I want to take this little illustration of the courtroom one step further. Here's the part often we've heard before. You know, so here you are, you're in the courtroom, earthly courtroom, and you're guilty. You're guilty, all right? The best you can hope for is somehow you, the accused, are declared not guilty. You're acquitted. You're acquitted for whatever reason, all right? And you're told, okay, leave, go away, you're free, you're acquitted, but don't ever come back. Don't ever want to see you here again. It's the best you get. Leave, go free. But what happens in the heavenly courtroom is so much better. Because number one, yes, you are guilty. You and I are guilty, period. Hopeless, helpless, no good plea to put out there. Period. But then the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who justifies, stands beside you and says, my robes of righteousness I give to you. You give me your filthy rags. You're still guilty, but you are forgiven. You are justified. You are now wearing my robes of righteousness. But then the beautiful thing is, the love that is poured out on us doesn't say, go and don't do this again. It says, you're adopted. You are adopted into the family and love is poured out on you in the Holy Spirit. You're not told leave and don't come back. Love is poured out by the Spirit is what Paul is talking about here in verse 5. So where does this take us? Where does this take us? You know, application is often, so what? So what? Give us this stuff. What, what can I apply from this? And here's some simple things. Simple, simple, simple on hope. How? How can I depend? How can you depend on the Holy Spirit this week? The first. Habits. Habits are so important. And it might be that you have been a Christian for a week. You might have been a Christian for 30 years, 50 years. You might be thinking, maybe I'll try, see what this Christianity is about. Whatever it is, habit. Why don't we spend this week, good old spend time with the Lord, prayer in His words, in His word. I talked about you never, I never grow independent that I don't need that anymore. Would you, could you, this week, start the day, start the day in prayer, in God's word, in that habit? Okay. Number two is this. There was another S in that passage. Reference shame. And hope does not put us to shame. Shame is going to show up for you, if not tomorrow, this week, the voice of shame is going to show up. And you know what? I'm not going to say, listen to the louder voice. Because I think we all know there's some shame that hits us in life. 
And that voice of shame may be way louder than the still small voice of the Lord calling. But whose voice, whose word is authoritative? That's what we remember. When the shame speaks loud, whose voice is authoritative? I love this statement when Christian said, I believe God is good. So that being said, what is my response when tragedy strikes my life? Does the sun suddenly cease being the earth's source of heat just because it's cold out? That would be silly. Finally, embrace and even rejoice in the suffering. God is at work. Embrace it. Rejoice in it. God is for you. God is at work. C.S. Lewis said this, God surely gives us enough suffering to let us know we are not home yet. Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant uh, inns to stay in along the way. But He will not encourage us to mistake them for home. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, You are for us. Your word here makes it clear that those you have justified by faith, you are with them, you are with us until the end. It is, it is likely to be quite a bumpy ride, but we see here what you are doing in and through that and knowing the end of the story gives us hope for sure here in the present because our Lord and Savior is with us. And in his name we pray, amen.